Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Today's going to be a good day. I need us to do something real quick. I need us to do something real quick, though. Before we launch into the service, I need us to to find someone to to your left or to your right, and you you need to say, this is what we need to say. All right, we're going to declare something together as as a congregation, okay? I I want us to get ready because this is what's going to happen today. So find that person. If you're not picked, that just means they don't like you as much. Um... (laughs) Find that person and say, strongholds are going to fall. Okay, now look to your second choice that you don't like as much, awkwardly, um, and tell them, strongholds are going to fall. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Father, I pray right now, oh God, Lord, you heard your church declare. We declare that strongholds are going to fall. Lord, we declare it and we receive it. Lord, there are strongholds in our lives. There are, strong, there are addictions. There, there are strongholds in finance. There, there are strongholds in our health. Lord, there are mindsets that got to change and that need to fall in our individual lives and then corporately in this church. So, Father, I declare and you heard the declaration from your church and we stand together in the mighty name of Jesus, that strongholds will fall in 2020. We believe it, we receive it, and Lord, I thank you for your word that we're about to launch into. Lord, I'm fired up because of what you're going to do today. I praise your holy name. Lord, open us up. Open our chest cavity up. Do open heart surgery on us, God, today. Let us walk out with this launch pad of, of disciplines that help strongholds fall. Lord, I thank you, God, for what you're about to do. In your mighty name, Jesus, amen. High five someone and say it's going to be a good day. Now now pick your second choice and tell them it's going to be a good day. I still love you. Air fives. We're going to bring back the high five single-handedly. Get it? One, one hand at a time. So we're, we're in Joshua. So I'm actually, I actually went backwards. We're looking at probably the most popular section preached out of Joshua. And I, I just want to throw this out there. Let's, 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 let's set our expectations at a, at, a, at a normal level. Everything I say today, you probably haven't already heard. So let's just throw that out there. You've already heard this. Let's get our expectation. I'm just joking. God's going to move Oh, God's going to show up. God's going God's gonna to do what he does. God's going to show up. Today, what I, but I do what, what I want us to do, though, with our expectations, this is what I want us to expect. I want us to expect God to start a process in us. So often, I've heard it preached, come lay your sin at the altar and don't take it back. And so what happens is teenagers and 
Christians and everyone else will come to the altar and they'll pour their heart out and have a snot-filled session at the front and think that they laid their sin down. And then three days later, when they're tempted to look at porn again on the internet, they thought, I thought I gave that to God. And why am I still struggling with this and all this stuff? What what I want us to understand is let's let's look at it properly. God's going to start a process today that's going to affect 2020, 2021, and every year following. And it's not a three, two, one step, one, two, three steps to get rid of strongholds in your life. What we're going to talk today is about disciplines that we can start in our lives today that will lead to the demolishing of strongholds tomorrow. Okay, so can, can God set people free at the altar or in your living room or in your bed? Absolutely. My, my grandpa, he was alcoholic. And he got home from World War II, and he looked at my grandma. He said, are you not going to have a beer with me? And my grandma said, no, my dad used to beat me. He was alcoholic. My, my grandpa put down his beer and never drank again. Cold turkey quit. That can happen. But so often it doesn't happen because there's this process called sanctification, which is a process of the Holy Spirit making us like Jesus over the course of our life. And the Lord often gives us disciplines, not legalisms, disciplines. A discipline is like brushing your teeth. You don't have to do it, but you're better off if you do do it. Like a discipline. I, I don't call, um, I, 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 I hate using the word habit because a habit can be formed unintentionally. You can form a habit just by not doing something. A discipline you have to intentionally choose to do. Like reading the Bible. That should never become a habit. It should always be a discipline. I'm disciplined. Christ in me is greater than the wrong motives in me. I'm disciplined. So I'm going to choose to read my Bible. I'm going to choose to carve time out of my week to give to God. Disciplines. We're going to talk about three disciplines today. But before we talk about three disciplines, we have got to look at Joshua because he models the three disciplines that we need, to, we need to institute in our lives. He models it so amazingly. So we're going to look at the end of Joshua chapter 5, 13 through 15, then the first five verses of Joshua chapter 6, because it's almost a single narrative. It says, When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with the sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you a friend or a foe? So let's set the scene. The the nation of Israel crossed the Jordan River. We we have to go back. Last week, we were like in chapter 17, and now we're in chapter 5. We we went backwards a little bit. But that's okay. That's okay. We'll be back right where we were left off next week. So uh, it's so important. It's so important that we get this moving forward. In fact, it's so important that the Lord changed the direction of what I was going to speak today. (laughs) I wrote two messages this week. I wrote next week message this week, thinking that today was next week. And then I looked at the calendar and I realized, wow, this is the wrong week. But at the beginning of the week, I had this thought, just a passing thought go through my head. I need to talk about Jericho. And I brushed it off. I got all excited about where we're going next week. And then I realized 
that it's the wrong day. And the Lord's like, I told you to talk about Jericho. I'm like, okay. So I thought I was ready for, I thought I was ready for Sunday long before I left Thursday. And then I opened my, my calendar on Friday and I realized that I didn't have this Sunday's message done. I was like, oh Jesus, what just happened? My voice cracked a little bit and I was worried, but the Lord said, I told you to talk about Jericho. I'm like, but Lord, that's not in the progression that, we, that we've been going. Lord, we've been moving forward every week. We've, we've, we've taken steps forward in the book of Joshua. And the Lord's like, I don't care. Um, so, and that, that's okay. We're going to talk about Jericho. I mean, think about this, the sovereignty of God. He wrote your life backwards so you can live it out forward. So um, he knows the end from the beginning. We're, 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 we're going backwards a little bit, but that's okay. Joshua was, he was not camped at Jericho. The Israelites were camped away from Jericho, but Joshua was out scouting Jericho out because he knew that this was the first stronghold that they were going to have to take as they stepped into the promised land. He knew that the, the people of Jericho were already scared because he sent two spies into Jericho and Rahab gave them refuge, the prostitute Rahab, and then the Lord spared her life and she told the spies that the whole the whole town of Jericho and the land was frightened because of they heard what the Lord had done for the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan River. Now they've crossed the Jordan River through this miraculous stop. The Jordan was in a flood. The, the priest walked out there. The, wall, the, the water just walled up. It dammed up, and they crossed into their promised land. And now, now Joshua's scoping it out. He's, he's surveying the stronghold, and he sees a dude, and he walks up to him. Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. It's kind of interesting how this guy, the commander here, says neither one. Whether God's friend or foe is based on whether we're obedient to him. Because the Bible says before we come to Christ, we're enemies of God. It's just our nature. But when we walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit, suddenly he becomes our friend. And he's waiting to see if Joshua is going to be obedient. He's giving Joshua the choice. Neither one, he replied. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Then launching into chapter 6, it says, now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut up because the people were afraid of the Israelites. Jericho was a big town. It said that it had, that it had walls so thick that, that chariots could race on top. So like this is a big fortified city. 
But every time I picture Jericho, I picture VeggieTales with peas on top, throwing slushies off the top. But um, that's because I have small children and I'm also a child at heart. So, uh, <laughs> now go away. We don't like you. No, I'm sorry. You know, VeggieTales is making fun of Monty Python, FYI. Uh, <laughs> French peas. Uh, stop it, Ryan. Get back on track. Pray for me. This is an opportunity for you to pray for your pastor. Uh, yes, yeah, so where, where are we? We're afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. Now, when you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and people can char- and the people can charge straight into the town. God does not want to go around the strongholds in our life. He wants to go through the strongholds in our life. When you go around something, that means you leave it up. But when you go through something, it has to fall. And God doesn't, God isn't interested in us leaving strongholds up in our life where, um, where it can push us away from him. He wants something to collapse. So before we move any further in this message, let's define strongholds. Because there might be some people, like if you've been in a church for, for more than five years, you could probably tell me what, and kind of follow me along, just kind of read the context. But I want us to, without a doubt, be on the same page moving forward. By definition, a stronghold a place that has been fortified so as to protect it against attack. So a stronghold can be a good thing or a bad thing. For instance, the Lord is our stronghold. Some translations say he is our strong tower. The righteous run into and they are saved. So the Lord is our stronghold. So a stronghold can be a good thing. We can retreat to the Lord. But for our purposes moving forward, we're going to look at this as a place where the enemy is fortified in our territory. Because that's what Jericho was for the Israelites. It was their territory. The Lord gave them that land to their ancestor Abraham. It was theirs by right, by decree, by the Lord. But there was a stronghold where the enemy was fortified. And so what the enemy does in a Christian's life today, they might, he might not actually have walled cities up in your life, but what he does have is a base of operation to where he could push God out of your life. A stronghold is anything that we allow the enemy to operate in our lives, to push God out of our lives. And God's not okay with strongholds in our lives at all, period, in the story. Because he's a jealous God and he wants all of our heart. He wants everything that we have. Not have, but like he wants to give us all to him. Like he wants this whole relationship. I don't get to partially be married to my wife. I'm all her husband or I'm not her husband. 
And so I don't want to name strongholds because strongholds come in all sorts of flavors. You, you, if you think it, it could become a stronghold. I'm not trying to name them because what will happen if I start naming things that can become strongholds, people are like, well, I don't deal with that, so I'm good. And suddenly you'll exclude yourself from this honest conversation that we're about to have. And God wants us to do this regularly. So I want to talk just a few, talk to you just a little bit about some disciplines in dealing with strongholds in our life. And I believe that today is going to be a launch pad moving forward for our lives. So the first discipline I want to talk about is take an honest survey. We step into the narrative in Joshua chapter 5. Joshua, the commander of the people of Israel, is standing looking at the stronghold, the enemy that is opposing them, that's keeping them from stepping into everything that God has for them. Another thing that strongholds do is it keeps you from receiving what God has for you when we allow strongholds in our life. So he's surveying it. And he's making a battle plan in his mind. As a military person, Joshua was probably thinking, okay, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to siege this city. We're going to starve them out, and, and they're eventually going to surrender. Then we're going to kick them out. And sometimes that could take time. If they're a large city, they could be self-sufficient for months. But that's how you took over fortified cities back then. But here's the deal. God wanted to get his people his blessing to them. And he wanted to Amazon Prime that sucker to them. He wanted to, he wanted to get expedite it to them. So he's like, no, 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 no. I have a better plan. And so this is kind of a cool thing, though. Because the same time Joshua was surveying the problem, guess who else was sitting over there surveying it? The Lord. He's checking it out. Joshua's over here looking at it. And the Lord's over here looking at it. And then Joshua's like, yep, 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 yep. Who are you? And he walks up, are you friend or foe? But I, I love, this is so encouraging to me because here's the cool thing. God already sees the strongholds in your life. He does. He knows who your enemies are better than you know who your enemies are. He knows what your enemy's trying to do in your life. He knows what the enemy's trying to construct in your life to wedge him out. And he already has a game plan to push the enemy out of your life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So that, that our weapons aren't like what we use physically. That's what carnal means. So we, like, we don't draw a sword Literally, we don't pull out a gun. Literally, we, we, we're not about to, to shoot the devil with a bullet or a hollow point, whatever you want to say. Like, but the weapons of our warfare are not physical, but they have divine power. And let me tell you, let, let, let me tell you this divine realities, God realities are greater realities. They are the greater realities. Spiritual realities are the greater realities. They have divine power to tear down strongholds. That's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So God has equipped us with, with these weapons. And Ephesians chapter 6 tells us what the weapons are. 
the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the belt of truth, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, and prayer. He didn't have an acronym for prayer, but he does say to pray right after that. He tells us what our weapons are, and he says that they have divine power to tear down strongholds. So God is in your situation, looking at your life, looking at your enemy with you. That should be encouraging. So often we, we, get, we get ashamed of the places we let the enemy set up camp in our life, and we try to hide it from God. God's like, I'm already looking at it. You might as well tell me about it. Let's, let's get on the same page moving forward because guess what? If you could get rid of that stronghold in your life, you wouldn't be dealing with it today. You can't get rid of it. You can't get rid of it without Jesus. It's only by Christ, in Christ, through Christ. And it's only God's game plan that's going to work. Whenever, whenever I played basketball, we always watched game films. We watch game films to see our enemies, and by enemy I mean opponent, but really they were our enemies. We hated each other on the court. We loved each other off the court most of the time. Um, I'm not perfect. Don't judge me. Uh, but we watch game films to see our enemies' weak spots because when you're in the when you're in the rough of it, when you're taking elbows, giving elbows, kneeing people. I mean, like I didn't play dirty, but I hurt people. Um, I got hurt too. I'm sorry. I'm not. I, there are times where I had to repent after basketball games. Let's just be real. Um, and I played for a Bible college. So uh, let's just, your pastor's not perfect. Don't expect me to be, please. Um, but you, you can't see. You can't see where you're weak. Like, you'll be fighting down in the post to block someone out, and you're just getting shoved out of position every time. You can't see that. But when you watch it on film, you see the game plan from the coach's perspective, and the coach is suddenly, he's like, yeah, this is where you need to work on it. This is where you need to change. And you get to different, like, oh, yeah, I see now. Because the whole game, he's like, block out! And I'm like, I am! And he's like, no, you're not! And my coach had this phrase. He would call us pansies quite a bit. And uh, um, he's like, quit being a pansy, Ryan. And, uh, <laughs> but we had to watch the game. And then suddenly we're like, wow, I, know, I now see my enemy's weakness. I now know, because it wasn't my plan. My plan didn't work. I had to listen to the coach. Suddenly we see, we see Joshua taking a survey but the Lord's taking a survey. And let me tell you, you can't take an honest survey of yourself. You can't do it. I don't care how hard you try. You cannot take an honest survey of yourself because nine times out of 10, if you don't believe me that you can't take an honest survey of yourself, go on a diet for three weeks. By the end of your diet, you're gonna be, you're gonna be convincing yourself. You know, those frosted flakes are actually healthy. You know, it says they have like 11 minerals and vitamins on them. I mean, like, you're going to be talking yourself into to eating the very thing you're trying to cut out of your life. You know, 
I mean, this chocolate can't be all that unhealthy. It says all natural ingredients. And, you know, like you start talking yourself into the very thing you're trying to cut out. This, this honest survey that you have, that, that you give yourself, will deceive you because you'll convince yourself that everything's okay. Oh, it's just one piece of chocolate. It won't matter. You know, I just sniffed a Cinnabon. You know, like, you know, it, does, it doesn't matter. I sniffed a Cinnabon once and got a cavity. It was crazy. Um, but you, you can't take an honest survey of yourself because your heart's deceitful. It just is. You'll tell yourself it's not as bad as what it really is. Oh, it's, it's not that bad. I had, I had students that were dealing with, they would say, hey, you know, I'm, 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 I'm struggling with this addiction. It's just once a week, though. It's not that bad. Because they, they, they base on whether their struggle or their stronghold was bad based on, well, I have a friend that does it three times a day. Well, it's bad either way. You, you, you can't take an honest survey of yourself. I once, Amy and I, before we got married, we went to this real marriage seminar with Mark Driscoll, and it was awesome. But one thing he said, he said, you can't be your own judge in your relationship. Because guess what? I'm going to sit back and think I'm the most romantic husband alive. Like, everything's going good. But Amy might be thinking he's the most lazy person in the world. He never romances me anymore. And whose voice do I want to listen to? I want to listen to my own because we don't like to point out faults. We don't like to point out our own faults. But it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a contradiction because we're our own worst critic, but at the same time, we never give ourselves an honest survey. So what they said is your spouse is your judge. So if Amy walks up to me and says, uh, Ryan, you need to work on this in our relationship. I have to swallow my pride, eat crow, and say, I will try, and try. And vice versa, if I walk up to Amy and say, hey, honey, you're perfect and you're amazing, and there's nothing on earth that you need to work on, um, you are. It's got to earn brownie points from the stage. Um, but if I walked up to her and said, Ames, there, this is one thing that I, I feel like you need to work on, she can't be the judge of that in her own heart because I'm the, I'm, the recipi- I'm the recipient of whatever that is. In our walk with God, we have this advantage. Joshua was taking a survey, but God was taking a survey. And there's a psalm in Psalm 139.23. Let's throw it up there real quick. The psalmist says something, and this is a dangerous prayer to pray. If you want God to answer a prayer, pray this prayer wholeheartedly with all of your heart, with all of it, like just truly mean it. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And everyone goes, gump. That's a hard prayer because God will give you an honest survey of strongholds in your life that offend him. And it's not because he's mad at you that they're there. He wants to get rid of 
them so you can experience everything that he has for you. He wants to get rid of strongholds in your life so, so you can walk into every promise, every blessing, everything that he's just waiting to give you, but it's this thing that stands between you and him. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So how do we take an honest survey? We ask the Lord to survey our heart. We ask God to say, God, where am I allowing the enemy to set up a foothold? Where am I allowing the enemy to come between you and me? Is it, it, it doesn't matter what it is. When you ask God that, he's going to start laying things on your life and in your heart that you wouldn't even, you would have never guessed in a million years. Like, that's the thing. You think you know, but suddenly God's like, no, it's actually this. This is the root cause of that. You're doing this because of this. God never treats symptoms. He always deals with the heart. We like to treat symptoms. If I do this better, I'll be better. But God's like that. No, you're, you're just going to do this in a different form next time. You might, you might snap off this branch, but it's going to grow another shoot somewhere else in your life. God's saying, let's deal with the stronghold. Let's uproot it. So the first discipline is take an honest survey. Take an honest survey. The second discipline that we need to learn from Joshua today in dealing with strongholds is our posture in God's presence. Now, before, I, I know that there's scholars out there and there's smart people and it's like, well, that guy, that angel, it said that he is the commander of the Lord's army. Let's just address this real quick. Um, just because we can, and I'm the one with the microphone. And so, I truly believe that this is a pre-incarnate Christ for a couple reasons. Number one is Joshua fell on his face prostrate before him. Every other time this happens in the Bible where someone falls on their face before an angel, for instance, let's just, let's just look at um, Revelation 19.10. This is, this is John, Jesus' best friend, trusted apostle. He's having a vision. It says, then I fell down at his feet and worshiped him. This is an angel. And then the angel instantly said, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. That every time in Scripture where someone falls, because angels, I mean, let's, 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 let's just talk about angels. Angels are angelic beings. They're, they're physical and they're spiritual beings that do the bidding of God. And, and they're different than us. They have stuff like, you know, the Bible says in Revelations that angels can hold back wind and they can stop rivers and all this stuff. They're, they're, they're powerful beings. And it's easy to be tempted when you see something like that and you've never seen anything like that before. Like John, I mean, even though he walked with Christ, he walked with God and he saw him resurrected from the dead. He saw him go up to heaven and yet he falls on his face and worships an angel and the angel's like, stop. Don't worship me. Every time in the Bible that happens, 
Not with Joshua. Joshua falls on his face, and the angel didn't be like, no, 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 no. Like, he let him. And then he turned around and said, take your sandals off, your shoes off, your Nikes off, your Jordans off, whatever he's wearing. Um, and he said, for the place you're standing, or the place you are is holy. Only God can make dirt holy. And look around. We're all testaments that God can make dirt holy. Did he just call us dirt? Yes, I did. I did. We're all dirt. We're all dirt until we meet Jesus. We're all filthy until we meet Jesus. Only God can make something holy. So I truly believe that God cared so much about his people. There are times throughout the Bible where, where like, for instance, um, the three Hebrew children who got thrown into the fiery furnace, and when Nebuchadnezzar looked down into the furnace in the book of Daniel, he said, didn't we throw three people in? And they're like, yeah, we threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. And he's like, well, who's that fourth person? Because it looks like the Son of God. Christ showed up long before his incarnation. And it's so encouraging to know that God is willing to show up in the midst of your trouble. He's willing to look at your stronghold. He's willing to take the time to care for you. And the discipline that Joshua modeled here in the presence of God, our posture can tell us a lot about a person. For instance, your posture can tell someone if you're in pain. Like when I, when I was a, a junior in college, I had a problem with my sciatic nerve down my right leg to the point where um, when I would sit in class, I would have to sit like this. I'd have to one-cheek it because my leg would kill me. I could not extend my leg like this. It was That's as far as I can extend it because my, my back hurt so bad. My sciatic nerve was caught up. I had to go down to every practice. I shouldn't have played basketball, um, but I had to go down to every practice. I had to take uh, – Four ibuprofen before I went, I'd go down 40 minutes early to stretch just so I could run. And when I walked, I walked like with a, I walked with a, 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 a swag. No, I walked with an injury. And it, it was because, it was because my, my, my leg would not extend to walk normal. I couldn't do it. It hurt so bad. And my leg would constantly go numb and everything like that. And it took, it took a while for me to be able to, to extend my leg. It hurt all the way into my calf muscle. And um, so our posture can tell, tell us if, if you're in pain. Our posture can tell if you need to go to the bathroom. You see that person walking through Walmart for no apparent reason. They're like, <laughs> they're not speed walking. You just need to pray that they make it. You know what I'm saying? Um, our posture can tell if we need to, we need to go to the restroom. Our posture can tell, our posture can tell um, if we have a low self-esteem. You see it. People just, they're defeated. They hang their head. They're not, not all the time. Sometimes we just have bad days. But if this is, you know, like you're always looking down and not looking up, there's something in your spirit. Our posture can, our posture can tell us if we're if we're proud. And arrogant. Our posture can tell if a person's truly humble. And, and sometimes people that are humble and confident get 
accused of being proud and arrogant, there's a difference. Usually arrogance reveals itself as soon as a person opens their mouth. Um, but our posture can say a lot. And our posture to God's presence and how we treat God's presence says a lot. Because as soon as Joshua realized whose presence he was in, he fell. If we can corporately come together and worship God, and all we can do is sit here with our arms crossed, and we fall asleep in the light. If, you, if your arms are crossed right now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not judging, but, but we're like, well, I don't like these songs. Well, since when was worship about you? Oh, I just don't care for his humor. Well, I'm not here to please you. Um, since when was, you know, like, if we could sit here with our arms crossed in the presence of God, number one, we're not going to be able to hear him. And not to say that he can't work on our hearts. He, he will. It just take more time for him to bust out the old chisel and shh. But FYI, that's a stronghold. That's a stronghold. And if you come to talk to me about it, I'm going to point you down to the bottom of the stairs. And I'm going to say we have a check-in spot right there, and it's called preferences. And we'll, I check mine every time I walk up these stairs. Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. And our posture before God, if a a group of people can come together and worship corporately, and we say, well, God's not moving. No, God, God promises where two or three are gathered together in his name. He's there. That means there's a disconnect between your heart and his heart. So this is an amazing opportunity for us to align. Because our posturing to God's presence is a discipline that we have got to cultivate. When we feel the presence of God in our life, what do we do? When we feel the leading of the Holy Spirit, when he says, hey, you need, you need to work on this. You're a little sassy with your boss. <laughs> you're, you're a little disrespectful with your wife. You're, like When you start hearing that and you're like, oh, don't like the conversation, God. But that's God's presence working on you to make you more like Jesus. And our response should be like Joshua. He had two responses. The first response he had was to humble himself. It says he fell prostrate before the Lord. I, 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 want, I want to... I want to demonstrate because he was like this before the presence of God. He was laying down saying, God, I'm not worthy to stand erect in your presence. And the second thing he did was worship. This is a great place to worship from. Because if you can humble yourself, 2 Peter tells us, Clothe yourself in humility in dealing with each other. 
And then he goes on to say, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. He says between those two statements, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. If you want grace on your life, look at Joshua. Fall down in a posture of humility, in a posture of worship, and humble yourself under God's mighty hand because if you want God to bless you, you have to abase yourself before him. If you want God to move in your life, and, and give, give you favor, be humble and worship. Because when you're proud in worship, God is not receiving it. God actively opposes the proud. If you want God's opposition, which none of us do, but God actively opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. That means when you have offense with someone else in your life, you need to humble yourself. And the Bible says, go to them and ask for forgiveness. If you're harboring bitterness in, some, in, in your heart, humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. God's love language is obedience and humility. Joshua abased himself. He had this posture. This is, this is not just a one-time deal. If you go back and look at his dealings when he was Moses' right-hand man, Moses would leave the tent of meeting, but Joshua would stay in the presence of God, and he would humble himself. He listened to God. He humbled himself constantly before God. This is a discipline we have to cultivate. We have to walk in humility. That means even if you're right, you might need to say, man, you know what? I'm sorry. I did not mean to offend you. Because guess what? You can't control whether someone else is offended by what you say. That's on them. You can't control it. But you can't control whether you're offended. Your level of maturity is directly tied to your level of offendability. So if you're easily offended, you're very immature. Clothe yourself in humility in your dealings with each other. Before Joshua received how Jericho would fall in his presence, he fell on his face in the presence of God, in the presence, before the presence of God, in the presence of a stronghold. I'm going to repeat that because I messed it up, and that's okay. Before Joshua received how Jericho would fall in his presence, he fell on his face in the presence of God, in the presence of a stronghold. He humbled himself. He acknowledged the fact that there was a stronghold there, but he also acknowledged the fact that his God was there. What a stronghold often does in our life, it will tell us that you can't worship because you have this going on in your life. God does not want to hear from you because you have this going on in your life. You need to get your act together before you can come before God. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. 
God knew about your stronghold before it was even there. He knew that you were going to be dealing with the strongholds in our life, in our church, before this church was formed, before you were born. And guess what? He still chose to die for your sins. You know, and, and, and this is the deal. Your stronghold doesn't disqualify you from worship because worship isn't about you. Worship's about God. So regardless of whether or not, regardless of whether or not you feel like worshiping, God's still worthy of worship. Regardless of whether or not you feel like you're worthy to worship God, God's still worthy of worship. Joshua humbled himself and he worshiped God in the presence of his stronghold. I would argue that your first weapon against tearing down your stronghold is worship. Because it always worship always acknowledges the fact that God is greater than what you're facing. Worship always acknowledges that. You get that diagnosis, I'm going to worship God. Because guess what? All things work together for the good of those who serve the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So it's cancer? Praise God! So it's bankruptcy? Praise God! So my kids won't talk to me? Praise God! Because <laughs> all things work together. Praise God! Humble yourself. Listen. Some of us are about to be set free right now. We're about to be set free. Just, just receive it. Just say, Lord, I receive what's about to happen. Just let's, let's, let's all say it. Lord, I receive. You can worship God in the presence of your stronghold. It doesn't disqualify you. It doesn't nullify your relationship with him. In fact, if anything, what the enemy is trying to put a wedge between you and God, God's going to take that stronghold and use it to push you closer to him through worship. Our next thought is our next discipline that we need to cultivate is listen and obey. I know that's two, but they go hand in hand. Joshua is humbled. If you want to hear what God is saying, that means you got to stop talking. If you want to hear what God is saying, you have to be willing to humble yourself and listen. Joshua humbled himself, fell flat on the ground, took his shoes off, and he listened. And guess what? God didn't even need his input for the game plan. Isn't it crazy? God's like, okay, Joshua, let's compare notes. Um, let's see, um, what, what was your plan for this stage of the siege? And here's my plan. Let's, let's combine them. God's like, no, 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 I got this. This is how it's going to go down. God doesn't need anything from us. He chooses to use us. And that's more humbling. That's very humble. If you think about it, God chooses to have a relationship with us. He doesn't need it but he wants it. 
But Joshua listened for the game plan. And the Lord told him, this is what you're going to do. You're going to walk around the city once a day for six days. And you're going to let the priest lead the way. And on the seventh day, you're going to walk around the city seven times. The whole time, the police are going to be blowing their trumpets. But, but then when you hear that loud blow, you're going to let out a... Ah! You're going to let that out. And then he said, when you do that, the walls are going to collapse. And you're not going to go around it. You're not going to go, you're not going to have to detour, but you're going to walk up through it. Not, you're not going to have to run. You're going to walk. Like God makes straight the paths of the righteous. So like, th- this is what happens. And, and here's, I, I can only imagine what was going through Joshua's head. I can only imagine it. Because Joshua's a military dude. He has a strategy. Like, man, this seems crazy. Man, when God is dealing with strongholds in your life, well, actually, anytime it takes stepping out in faith, it's going to look crazy, period. Whether they be strongholds or just an act of faith, it's going to seem crazy. I would challenge you to push the crazy aside, look crazy, and watch God. Because it's only crazy until it happens, and then it becomes something marvelous. Then it becomes something like, how did that happen? God did it. It's only crazy until it happens. Joshua, Joshua was, was I, I can only imagine that God, like, we have swords. We have, we have all this equipment. And God's like, you're not going to need it. You're not going to need it once. sounded crazy but Joshua listened and he didn't when he was telling the people he didn't throw in his own idea it's like okay I think also that we as we walk by the wall we should take chisels and just kind of tap on it as we walk by you know you get you get you know a 300,000 people walking by with chisels just tapping on it as we make these laps it's going to make a difference no he didn't add anything that, that would make it more logical. Faith is illogical. He listened. This listening is an act of faith in and of itself. Some of us need to cultivate, myself included, this ability to listen. My wife can call me when I'm here and say, Ryan, I need you to pick up groceries. If I have her on mute, I won't hear it. Or if I'm talking the whole time, I won't hear it. Sometimes we just need to still our hearts before the Lord, calm ourselves, and listen. You might be surprised what the Lord might say about the situation you're facing. You might be surprised about the peace that he's about, he's about to give. Actually, I, I'm not might. You will be surprised about the peace that you're, that you're about to receive. You, you might be completely caught off guard about the instruction that he's about to give. He might say, man, go to Kroger. And stand by register three until you see the guy with the purple shirt come through and buy his groceries. Well, how is that going to help be paying my rent. It doesn't matter. Just do it. It seems crazy. 
but man, that guy might turn around and write your rent check out. You know, you don't know. But God gives instruction when we allow him to take an honest survey, we humble ourselves before him and worship him, and then we listen. But listening isn't enough. My, my wife can call me with that grocery list and I could listen to it. I could, I could memorize it. I could be like, okay, we need diapers. That's not a grocery item. It's just a necessity. Um, um, we need diapers. We, we, we need, uh, name something else. Milk. Come on, keep them coming. I don't remember this stuff. Bread. We, 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 we need eggs. We need cheese. Whatever our necessities are. She could, she could, I can memorize it. She could text it to me. She could put it on our Remind app or whatever we use that I could check it off. But I can, I can have all this knowledge and listen the best I can. Memorize it. Tell every one of you guys what my wife needs at the store. But if I don't go and get it, guess what? We're not going to eat that night. It's not good enough just to listen to God. James says, don't just be hearers of the words, but be doers. We had to listen and do. Before we could do either of those, we had to be. We had to be in Christ. We had to be with Christ. He says, be. So we have to listen and obey. The walls would have never fell if Joshua never organized the obedience. If he would have never told people, hey, tomorrow we're walking around. It wouldn't have happened. There's something about this discipline of listening and obeying. When we were student pastors, students would come to me all the time and they would have a myriad of, of needs. Pastor Ryan, I'm Ryan, I'm, I'm struggling with, or they, they would call me PR. I'm struggling with addiction. Um, I have relationship problems with my parents. I'm really struggling with hate. I really don't like this person. Or, or I, I, I got bitterness rock, rock in my heart right now, or etc. I mean, you name it, teenagers are dealing with it. They are. Depression. Suicidal depression. Like, it's insane. So I pray for them, and I would love them. I would never be caught off guard by what they would say. Some of them would cut themselves. Some of them would burn themselves. Some, like, they just had issues. But then I would ask them to pray. I would ask them to pray, God, what's, what's your plan? Because their plan wasn't working. What's your plan, God. And it's so interesting, the responses. Some, like, I would ask him, what did, I, I just, I would say, okay, so-and-so, I'm going to be quiet, and I'm going to let you pray. Because I can pray for you all day long, and I want you to get rid of this, but this is something that has, you have to determine in your heart. And, and I, want, I want you to pray to God, God, what's your plan in getting rid of this stronghold? And then we're going to be quiet. 
And they would. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't have to be a perfect prayer. You don't have to quote scripture in it. You don't have to go, oh, amen, or, or all that jazz. You just, God, what's your plan? God, I need you. Help me. And then we'd be quiet. to do for a moment. Let's bow our heads. Every one of us is dealing with something different. Aren't there, there, there's not one follower of Christ that's not dealing with him trying to hurt your relationship with God. And we're going to pray two things. Father, search my heart reveal to me anything that offends you and then we're going to pray what's your plan so as I pray I'm going to ask you to pray pray in your own way you don't have to say what I say Father you're here in this moment and you're wanting to do something powerful that's going to shape not just 2020, but the 2020s, this decade. But Lord, is it, before we, we launch into the promised land, so to speak, we're going to have to deal with strongholds. So Father, search my heart. Reveal to me things in me as a husband as a father, as a man that offends you. And Lord, I ask for your plan to get rid of it. Because mine doesn't work. Let's Let's just take a moment and let's listen. Let's listen. my years of ministry I've never had a student say I didn't hear anything I believe that the Lord is dealing with hearts powerfully right now there are things right now that that, man some of you guys don't know how to control some of you guys just like I just need to cry that's okay you can cry It's powerful that the Lord cares enough for you in that moment to speak into your heart, to draw you to him. Now that you have the plan, it's going to take action. Listen and obey. You can't obey without 
without action. Some of us probably heard something like, you need to ask for forgiveness. Some of us probably heard, you need to, you, you need to confess this. I can tell you the difference between the students who obeyed and the difference between the students who didn't obey. Because I would ask them, what did the Lord tell you? I'm not going to ask you guys. The difference is astronomical. The people who didn't act on what they felt the Lord laying on their heart, they just kept getting shoved further and further away from God. They're not serving Him today. But the ones that did, they're thriving in a relationship with Jesus. I still talk to them. I still text with them. They have a stronger relationship with their parents. They have a a, a stronger relationship with the Lord. But it starts with obedience. These three disciplines, it's not a one, two, three step to annihilate strongholds. It's more of a launch pad for your life. To to allow God to take an honest survey of your heart. This is not just a once in a lifetime thing. This needs to be a regular thing. Lord, reveal in me. Look at me, God. And you might be surprised what he says. You might say, man, you're doing great. (laughs) Praise God. humbling ourselves and worshiping him and listening and obeying. So what we're going to do today, let's, let's stand. I want to give us an opportunity. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ stepped into this world for 33 years He's God incarnate. He stepped out of eternity past and he stepped into a point in time 2,000 years ago to be born in a stable with animals. And he experienced everything that we experience, that, that we experience. He faced every temptation that we faced, but he never sinned. And yet, God saw it fit that he should carry our sins to a Roman cross and die in our place. The Bible tells us God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. It's not enough to have your sins forgiven to enter heaven. You have to be righteous. God forgives your sins, but the only way to get righteous is to say, Jesus, forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose again. And at that point, it doesn't matter what your past is, It doesn't matter. I don't care if you snorted a line of crack cocaine this morning. God can save you. I don't care what it is. The Lord can save you. There's not a sin great enough that his cross and his love can't cover. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you've never prayed that prayer, we would love to make the introduction. 
because God loves you. He loved you for eternity before you were born and he'll love you for eternity after you die. He loves you. He's head over heels for you and he wants a relationship with you. Some of you might be needing that relationship. You've never experienced a good relationship. Well, this is the best relationship because it's a God relationship. 